All right. I'm so excited we're all here together. Um, so I am going to start by reading our scripture, and then and then we'll we'll jump into it. Um, just fair warning: this is going to be a little responsive, so just be ready. Okay. I ask that God will strengthen you and your inner selves from the riches of God's glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length and height and depth together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. All right. Lord, um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Um, just to let you know where we're going. I'm taking first shift, and then I'm tagging out, and Chris is going to take second shift, so don't get excited when I finish. There's more. Um, <laughs> so... On this, the third week after Easter, we are continuing to explore who we are in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. It occurred to me this week that this question of identity is one that probably plagues adults and young adults more than children. Um, I don't see a lot of little kids like angsty, who am I, you know. Um, it's just, who are you? I'm me. Um, so I think that might be because they haven't learned to peg their identity on the roles they play or the things they do or what other people expect from them. Um, so this week, while we're all together, I hope that um, us adults will be able to learn something from the kids in our midst as we worship together. Um, so we are revisiting the image of Jesus as the vine and us as the branches in our, like, I forget the word that Chris called it, but the, help me, it's a chiasm, boys and girls, it's a chiasm, yes, um, so we're revisiting the image of Jesus as the vine and us as the branches, Jesus promises us that if we remain in him and he in us, that we will bear much fruit, um, so I'm going to dig a little deeper into this idea by combining it with what Paul writes in Ephesians, the passage I just read, um, when he prays that the church in Ephesus will grow strong roots in love. So there's three things that strong roots in love can do that I'm going to touch on. First is that strong roots hold on. Um, has anyone ever had the experience of trying to pull out either a weed or maybe a carrot, something that has a really strong root? Anyone tried? Does that, anyone? Okay. Okay. Has anyone ever had the experience where you are pulling so hard that you actually like fall backwards? Has anyone ever done that? Okay. Okay, good. Um, so roots can be really strong. You can be pulling with like your entire body weight and you're still thrown backwards by the carrot or the dandelion or whatever it is you're trying to get out of the ground. Um, so strong roots keep the whole plant exactly where it is uh, in spite of wind or rain or being stepped on or like nibbled on by animals. Um, strong roots can hold on really tight. The second thing, strong roots nourish. So 
Are there any kids that can tell me what the role of a root in a plant is? What do the roots do when you learn about plants in school? You can just say. Exactly. They bring, they pull up the nutrients and the water from the soil and they help give the plant what it needs to grow. So when we have strong roots in God's love, Paul says that we will begin to understand just how massive God's love is for us and for everyone. And when we start to understand how huge that love is, it changes us. Experiencing God's love feeds us, it nourishes our souls, and it helps us grow and flourish. It enables us to love God back with a love that we didn't necessarily have before, um, and also to love other people with this massive love of God. And then the third thing that strong roots do um, is that they make resilient plants. So if you spent much time weeding a garden, um, you know that you, if you want to get rid of a weed, you've got to get out all of the roots, right? Um, you can't just like, you've got to like really get the whole thing out. Um, why is that? What, what's so bad about leaving some roots in the ground? What, what's going to happen if you leave some of the root in the ground? Anyone? Anyone? <gasps> yeah. Yes, the plant will regrow. You will weed the entire garden, and then in like days, all of the weeds will be back. Um, so I have a few pictures to help us visualize this. Um, almost exactly two years ago, park rangers did what is called a controlled burn um, on one of my very favorite hiking trails, and I was actually kind of bummed when it first happened. Um, can we see the first picture? Yeah. So this is a really cool picture because you can see the border of where the burn happened. Um, you know, on the, on the left side, it's just charred, and then on the right side, it looks normal. Um, so, yeah, this picture was taken just a few days after the fire. So when I hiked up there, like, it smelled like smoke and ash and fire. Um, now... Let's look at the next one. Okay, that one is one week later. Isn't that amazing? That's, so that's a mountain laurel, and I love mountain laurel. It's blooming right now in Okanichi. Do not walk, run. Go see the mountain laurel blooming on Okanichi. It's one of the most beautiful things in the, the springtime. Um, but this was a mountain laurel, and the whole thing burned. I mean, just charred to a crisp. And in a matter of a week, those roots had given the plant what it needed to start to sprout again. Um, yeah, I was, I was super excited. <laughs> um, so let's look at the next one. Okay, so this is a week after the burn, and you have a shoot coming out of the charred ground. Um, and I don't, I don't know what plant that is, but um, actually, it actually might be a blueberry. Um, so yeah, I mean, it... I got a little obsessive about this. I started hiking this spot once a week and taking pictures and um, because it was so it was so cool just to see the life come back. But anyway, here's, here's another view. I did the I came back every week for a while and just tried to photograph the same spot. So this is back to that first time I went, that's a couple days after the fire. And then here's one month after. Are you serious? Like what? Um, 
And let's do the next one. There's even a turtle. Come on. A week after the whole thing is incinerated and there's life and animals are coming back. Um, okay, let's look at the next one. So this one is six months later. So it's, I mean, it's starting, you can still see some evidence of the char at the bottom of the tree trunks, but it's coming back. And then 18 months, and of course it's fall, so the leaves are, are down, but I mean, relatively recovered. Okay, and then this last one. This is two years later, this was taken this week. And um, all of that green you see on the bottom, those are blueberry bushes, and they're covered with blooms, and in like a month, they're gonna be heavy with ripe blueberries. So literally, the plants were rooted, they went through this terrible experience, and in just a month, they're gonna bear really abundant fruit. Um, when plants have really strong roots, they can withstand fire, insect infestations, being eaten to the ground by hungry deer, um, things that you would never think a plant could survive. It reminds me of the Easter story. So Jesus died on the cross and there seemed to be nothing left. No hope, no indication that the story was anything but over. But then on Easter morning, we discover that God's loving power, or maybe it's God's powerful love, either way, was strong enough to raise Jesus to life again. So since we are connected to that same deep well of God's love, we too get to have abundant and overflowing life when we grow our roots down deep into God's love. This is the kind of love, the kind of life that endures in the face of suffering and even death. And if you're starting to think, I don't know if I can grow my roots that deep, don't despair. We don't have to do it alone. We can collectively grow deep roots. This is a letter of Paul, so it's all y'all. Um, but that's getting, the, the collective bit is getting into what Pastor Chris is going to share with us, so I'm going to let him take it from here. That's great. Thanks, Meg. When, when you said tag in, I think you probably meant like a relay race, but I was thinking about wrestling. And so this is me coming off the top rope. Let's, let's move our bodies a little bit because I think we're getting a little too rooted here, okay? Um, I wanna see something here. If you are in this current season, if you're in a role as a caregiver, that means you are one who gives care to someone or something. This could be a child, this could be another adult, this could be a roommate, this could be someone sick, this could be chickens or dogs or gerbils or pet fish. If you are a caregiver, stand up right now. And if there's anyone left around you, tell them a little bit about who or what you're taking care of right now. Just real quick. Next thing I wanna see, again, we're gonna move our bodies here. We're not gonna to get too rooted here. If you prefer cats, this side of the room, if you, if you prefer dogs, get on this, you can move your whole body, move. I, th I think that was kind of predictable. Okay, if you favor or are dominant with your left hand, go to the left side, and if you're a righty, to the right side. 
Okay, if you are currently a student, this side, if you are done with that or never did it, this side, if you, you might not have done it today because it was raining, but if you live in walking distance from here, from Oak, on this side, if you are like more than a mile or two away and drive on this side. All right, excellent job, everyone. Okay, reset. We're going to shake the Etch-a-Sketch. You can go back to your seats. Uh, I, hope, I hope in that, in that fun exercise, I, I hope you all could see and sense and participate with your bodies in some of the interesting connections that maybe you didn't know you had um, and, and some of the, the cross-connections, left-handed cat-preferring students, you know, <laughs> things like that. Uh, um, we've been digging in to our identity, we are, which stems from who Christ has said, I am. We've been learning from these letters to churches. Maybe that's an obvious place to learn. Pastor Paul writing to gathered Christians in places around the ancient world trying to figure out how to live into what God has already made them. And so Paul uses all of these images and um, we're getting ready to read one. He uses the image of a human body. He, he's writing to the Corinthian church. You see, churches in Corinth were having problems. They were kind of getting it wrong, and they were getting it wrong in, in maybe they just weren't getting it quite right. They were getting it wrong in kind of predictable ways. Paul had planted this church. Notice we use planting language for churches. And it was growing in all too typical ways. It wasn't kind of growing in the weird enough ways that Paul expects churches formed in Christ's likeness might grow. You see, this church was divided, and it was dividing on conventional lines of privilege and power and honor. People were being selfish and letting their own preferences and desires control their behaviors rather than this bond in Christ to each other. It seems like Paul wrote this church quite a bit. Like, we have two letters in our Bibles, but there's an allusion to, like, a harsher Bible, like the too hot for our Bibles letter, probably. <laughs> Pastor Paul was doing a lot of damage control to this Corinthian church, right? He gets to the later part of his first letter that we have, and he unleashes this beautiful and challenging metaphor to remind them about their connection and their unity amidst all the obvious differences that they have. And he tells them that they are a body. He tells them that they are Christ's body. Here's, here's what that scripture sounds like. He says, Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though they are many. We were all baptized into one spirit, into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we're given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean that it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like he wanted. 
If all were one and the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. Many but one. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or in turn the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that think they are the weakest are the most necessary, and the parts of the body that we think are least honorable are the ones we honor most. The private parts of the body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity, and the parts of our body that are presentable don't need it. But God has put this body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor so that there won't be division in the body and so that the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part gets the glory, all parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. This is God's word for God's people. Do you notice how many times I said one in many? One in many, many in one. The temptation that this church, and I think, I, I think we do it too, that we repeatedly fall prey to is thinking that, that they are, that we are only many and we don't share meaningful connections. Or that in order that we could be one, we all have to be the same. That for them, that they had to be rich or able or educated. The Corinthians thought they were pretty cool and sophisticated people. And in a lot of ways, they were just kind of reinforcing the culture that they were around. They were at this port city that was influential and, and kind of like, um, probably getting emails about how expensive and favorable it is, the real estate in this area. That was Corinth, right? And Paul was reminding them that they don't have to reinforce this culture, but there's a new culture, a new life possible in Christ. It is a culture of connectedness and care, of mutuality and abundance. It is a culture where foolishness and weakness are actually key pieces to the puzzle. Because the crucified and resurrected Jesus stands in the middle of their life together. And if they are being who they really are, they are being a body. A body, one body with many parts. They're doing different things in different ways, but serving the whole. Eyes and ears and hands and feet. All honored, all vital. Some more visible and prominent, some more hidden and minor. All part of a healthy whole, active, living body. So that one part of that body hurts, there's like sympathetic pain throughout the body. Um, my wife works with bodies, she's a physical therapist, and um, I, I've had like these, I, I hate stretching, so I've had these like, like body aches, and so like I can see how the, even though that doesn't make me want to stretch more, uh, I can see how our bodies are connected because often it is, you know, if my back hurts, it is because my hamstrings are tight and it is because I'm placing my feet wrong when I run or something like that. Um, and, and, and so there is like, uh, this, this image is so rich because it, it, actually, it, it actually works and is true. Like physiologically, this is true. But I want to go back to, to the forest and to Pastor Meg's metaphor of our rootedness in Christ. Um, you see, trees are all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Matt, I think there's a uh, ribbon tree. Uh, my friend Bruce painted this, this 
painting called Riven Tree. And this is kind of a, in one image, all of these different panels showing how the, the tree is the central thing happening in the Bible. This is in York Reading Room at Duke. If you ever want to see it, you can like almost touch it if you wanted to. Um, trees happen in the Bible from the first chapter. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the last chapter. The tree for the that had leaves for the healing of nations in the New Jerusalem in Revelation. In fact, the cross itself in the Bible is often referred to as a tree. Like in, in Bible imagination, like wood and trees are like very related. And so the, the, there is a word for cross, but when the cross is just wood, it is a tree. Um, trees are really at the center of the Bible story and the, the biblical imagination. Besides God and humans, trees and like language around trees, shoots and branches and different specific types of trees are like the third most mentioned thing in the Bible. Um, like on average, if you open your Bible, on one of every two pages, there's going to be something about a tree, on average. Don't hold me to this. Uh, in, this should not be a hard pitch. I'm preaching to oak church right now, right? But trees and humans are also compared. Think about when you open the book of, of uh, Psalms. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners um, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted beside streams of water which yields its fruit and season and its leaf doesn't wither, whatever they do prospers, like a tree. It's easy to make some of those connections, but when you dig even deeper, there's some really fascinating scientific discoveries that reveal just how connected forests are. I think growing up, um, I grew up in Florida, so we didn't have a lot of these big trees. When I first moved to North Carolina, I was really claustrophobic because I, I couldn't see the horizon at all times. There are these pesky pine trees everywhere, right? And so I'm more apt to see forests as a collection of trees, the trees rather than the forests. But forests act almost like a single organism rather than just a random collection of independent trees. Scientists... Um, that do forestry have, have uncovered ways that trees actually like kind of talk to each other. And I'm not talking about like Disney animated trees that talk to each other, but like talk to each other through an intricate subterranean network. Like trees in the forest talk by exchanging nutrients and carbon and water through mycorrhizal networks. Like this is fungus. Um, and so like you might say, Forests are connected by fun guys, right? So, uh, so, sorry, that's so terrible. I'm sorry. But this is this, this intricate network. And like Pastor Meg said and, and, and y'all said with her that, that our roots are, are for digging deep and, and like almost acting like a straw to suck up nutrients and to, to gather the food and the things that we need. These roots also dig deep and branch wide, not just to take, but also to give and to disperse and to, to serve with the help of like soil fungus. Some biologists name this like the wood wide web. You know, these, these are host trees are often the like tallest 
biggest and most accessible to sunlight, and they're the servers. They're, they're also called mother trees that, that serve extra sugar that they produce that they don't need, and they become host to the fungi and disperse uh, these nutrients and, and everything the forest needs to sometimes as many as 47 other trees. One tree connected to 47 other trees. Again, this is an overlay talking about churches. Um, I think of, of one of my, um, like, I would say he's like a pastoral theological mentor, Eugene Peterson, and, and he once said, um, someone asked him how big he thinks churches should be, and he says, as, as big as I can remember the people's name, every, every person's name, which is about 200 people uh, for him. And so, like, I think there's some of this wisdom kind of overlaid of these host trees spread out to 47 trees. So you imagine a few host trees interconnecting this network in a forest. Yeah, it's, it looks something like this. I love that these nutrients are sent to these trees and filtered throughout a whole ecosystem. Network trees also become homes for birds and animals, turtles, food for wildlife, and they also offer warning signals when something isn't quite right. If there's a, a controlled burn or a lightning strike or some, something preying on them and throwing off the balance, they, they, they share kind of the shock waves that resonate throughout this network. I don't know how many forests were part of a port city like Corinth when Paul was writing, but you can easily see how Paul, if he had known this stuff or been around this stuff, um, might have used this metaphor for them. That they need to be not just uh, a bunch of trees in their own pots. Imagine the, the um, garden section at like Lowe's with all the trees in their own bags with their own root balls and soil not at all connected, but all in the same place. It, if, if you kept your eyes above what the roots were doing, you might think that it was actually a forest, but actually it's not a forest at all. Um, instead, they share the same soil. They grow together, they share together, and they depend on and relate to each other. Any threat to any tree is a threat to the whole forest. And these inv invisible threads tie each other together. If a hub tree is removed, it affects not just its network with 47 trees or so, but it also affects some of the networks that those trees are also linked to. It, it made me remember a few years back we made this altar cloth together. And this is our ordinary time altar cloth for the good green growing season. And some of you and some people who came before you participated in this by doing some hand stitching. And I never really thought of this as maybe our like group mycorrhizal networks. Um, but I think maybe that's a beautiful thing to think about when we come to this one loaf, uh, this, this one body, and we share each other, uh, with each other, what Christ is and what Christ has done for us in, a, in an extended season that, that feels like maybe nothing is happening, or maybe it feels like it's just too close to something awful that just happened, that nothing could quite possibly be growing, but underground, so much is happening, and so much is happening between us in this place. 
In Christ, we are connected to this, this vine, this vine who bears so much fruit in us and through us for others. Each part of our community is important, and we are only whole and healthy when we are together for each other. So we grow deep roots that allow us to be resilient in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. But we also spread vast branches and networks that connect us to each other and keep our connection at all times to Jesus. We communicate and we share and we commune together. We cultivate soil in common that we grow in and that we depend on for the sake of others. It means that we value difference and see it as a key to verdancy in life. Like this church is an ecosystem in and of itself in Christ. In the words of Wendell Berry's Mad Farmer, he says, we are together and rooted and connected, and our main crop is the forest that we did not plant and we won't live to harvest. We did not plant it and we won't live to harvest. We are planted by Christ, and Christ bears fruit in us. We are connected to those who come before us, to those who, become, who will come after us in this place, and in Christ's deeply rooted church throughout time in many different places. We are connected in ways we don't often see or feel or recognize, but we trust in Jesus who holds all these things together. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Thanks for these roots. Thanks for these connections. Thanks for opening our eyes um, to how much we need you and how much we need each other in this world. Lord, continue to open our eyes to the ways that we, um, when we have too much, it's just a signal that we need to share it. Um, when we feel alone, it's just a signal that we need to lean on these networks um, and these connections. We give you thanks that we can abide in your love, which is high and deep and wide and strong and that we're rooted and grounded in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.